and and I and I think that that's an ongoing problem and one of the reasons why I decided to take a risk and open my own firm uh was not only because I really like the idea of doing advice only financial planning which was not even much of a thing when I started it uh but also because I kind of looked around at the lay of the land and I knew that I'm the type of person that wants to lead and I didn't see anybody offering me a leadership opportunity anytime soon. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Julia Chung, co-founder and CEO of Admin Slayer and Spring Planning. Admin Slayer provides expert business services on an as-needed basis for small businesses, whereas Spring Planning provides conflict-free, advice-only financial planning services to Canadians from all walks of life. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much, Heather. It's really delightful to be here and to see you again. You as well. To get started, can you give our listeners a bit of background about yourself as well as the two companies that you've co-founded? Sure. Uh, So I started in the financial services industry around, I guess it was 1997. And I started, you know, in frontline reception. and, And it was the very first time I'd had anything to do with investment management. And I had a really great manager who kind of plucked me out of there and said, you know what, I think you're bright. And he started uh, encouraging me to take courses and grow. And he had me move into the trade desk that was at our office there. And, uh, And from there, I just started really exploring the financial services industry and all it had to offer, uh, which was great for me at the time. I was quite young and I had a very young son that I was raising by myself. And so I did not really have the ability to go to post-secondary school full-time because I really needed to work. But I also wanted to continue my education. And the financial services industry allowed me to work and go to school at the same time, which I absolutely did. So I, uh, you know, I, I got my registered representatives um, certification so that I could be a trader and become a securities advisor. And then I became a CFP uh, uh, certified financial planner and on and on and on. And now my name is followed by alphabet soup. Um, and, uh, during that, <laughs> and, and then, uh, at the same time, I was trying out a different kind of entrepreneurship opportunities. Uh, so I decided that going to school and raising a son and working full-time wasn't enough. And I thought I would add on trying out running a concert promotion company, which I did for about three years, which made zero dollars, but was lots of fun. And uh, I also became a partner in a coffee company, which was an odd choice since I don't drink coffee. And I was in that for a couple of years. And um after being in financial services and working as a senior financial planner in brokerage firms for many years, I decided to branch out and uh, I joined an accounting firm to start an advice-only financial planning 
firm under their sort of umbrella. And after about three years there, we their partnership in the accounting side kind of imploded a little bit. And I left and uh, and had a solo practice, which I then called JYC Financial. Uh, but because I'm a big fan of succession planning in general, I was always on the lookout for who's going to be part of my team. And I found Sandy Martin, who was running her own practice in Gravenhurst, Ontario. And uh, we merged in 2017 and created Spring Planning which is kind of where we are today. Um, and in, in 2015, I kind of created AdminSlayer by mistake. You know, those, those mistakes sometimes, you know, the things that go wrong often make the best memories or the mistakes that you make sometimes make the best companies, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been such a, a delight. So uh, so right when I was leaving the accounting firm to start my own solo practice, I was like, oh, my God, I need a team and I need you know this to get done and that to get done. And I've always worked with a team, but I also didn't have an enormous amount of funds to hire a whole bunch of full time people for a startup. Uh, and I so I hauled in my very best friend, Kristen, who uh, is an excellent marketing specialist and strategist, and she built my entire back office system and all my branding and my website and you know the communications for letting people know that you know I was going into a solo practice and I hired my business coach's best friend as my virtual assistant it was Shannon Cassidy and uh, and we really launched that solo practice in about six weeks and it went off without a hitch. It was amazing. And that was really the seed for Admin Slayer because people came to me and were like, um, how'd you do that? <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, and also really born out of the need that you felt in sort of your, your other business uh, to get all the stuff done that needs to be done in, in the background, uh, which makes you very empathetic to other small business owners who are, are experiencing this, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there was a, a great number of administrators I'd worked with in the financial service industry for years who also heard about what we were doing. And they were like, so Shannon works from home? <laughs> before it was cool to do so. Yeah, long before. And, and so I, I was like, oh, okay, here we seem to have a market. And here we seem to have a whole bunch of people who are interested in serving that market. Why don't we bring them together? and make a company. And I said to Shannon, here's a really great idea. Why don't you run with it? And she said, yeah, super great idea. I'm not doing this by myself. And so uh, so Kristen and Shannon and I started designing it. And we brought in Tracy Yurkin, who had worked with me at the accounting firm that I was at previously. Uh, and we formed the beginnings of Adminslayer in 2015. That's a very, uh, I, I love that story because it. I think that the um, the ability to relate to your clients' pain points when you have experienced that pain point yourself really uh, makes the services much more, I don't know, user-friendly, if you will, or much more relatable. Um, and because you had experienced it yourself, you you kind of know the, the the lay of the land for what uh, for what's actually needed. So that's uh, that's a great story, and I love how. You know, you were a partner in a coffee shop, even though you don't drink coffee. That gives me some hope because I also am not a coffee drinker and uh, never would I have thought that I would be a partner in a coffee shop. But I guess never say never. Anything's possible, right? <laughs> that is true. I want to focus for a moment on something that you you talked about at the at the beginning of your answer, um, of focusing on the finance world for a moment. Um, can you tell us a little bit about being a woman in finance? That's historically been a pretty male-dominated industry. 
How has it changed since, I guess, since 1997 when you first got into it? And is there, do you think that it has changed enough? Is there still room to grow? What's your, what are your thoughts on the being a female in a male dominated finance industry? Hmm. What's the nicest way to say these things? Well, um, what I would say is that the firm that I initially started with was really progressive. So oh, the, the, yeah, they were unique. Um, they, they don't exist anymore. They were folded into another company that folded into another company, uh, as has happened in Canadian finance. But, um, but like the leader who plucked me from reception and said, we can do different things with you. Uh, that was an older gentleman who didn't see any boundaries, didn't see, you know, a female young receptionist without a lot of background or education. He saw somebody who's capable that he could nurture, which was amazing. And the trade desk that I started working with at that point was 100% female, which had to be like the only one at the time. So my introduction was probably really gentle from that perspective. And then I started working in... Um, more traditional brokerage firms after that. So the trade desk that I went out to after that was 100% male and very different. More of the more of the negative stereotypes that you see um, a lot. And I definitely took a lot of pains to make sure that people recognized me and um, and didn't treat me as you know, that Chinese girl over there who just happens to be collecting the papers. I had to be quite pushy and, um, and you know, self-advocating. Interesting. Um, do you think that if your first experience um, with, with this mentor, who sounds like he'd been a, a pretty good mentor for you, do you think that if the, the chronology was reversed so that you didn't have such a gentle introduction that you might have had a different view of of staying or sticking with the finance industry i think so because you know honestly like you get a, an idea of what you're capable of when people reflect things back to you and when For sure. right and and then my very first introduction was somebody reflecting back to me i see you i think you're capable i'm not putting you in the stereotypical box that you could easily have fallen into as you know the a very young single mom without a lot of background. Not a lot of people would give that person a chance. And, uh, and he did. And, and, and because of that, that gave me a lot of confidence. You know, I had some, some great confidence from my ultra feminist mother uh, <laughs> that she imbued in me early on, you know, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, if, if the, my entry into the industry had been in that more stereotypically male-dominated place and I didn't know that I could advocate for myself, I think I would have had a harder go. Interesting. I'm, I'm curious about two things, actually, from that comment that you made. One is, um, I guess, do, you know, so the first one is, when you so you started very gently and then you know the, the the waters became a little bit more rough when you were in a in a slightly different environment and because you had some confidence and you knew what you were capable of because that had been reflected back to you it that that step is a little bit easier than than perhaps it otherwise would have been do you think that there's still room do you think that that things have changed significantly so that if you were starting out today in a fairly traditional um finance role you would have had the same, you know, you would have a different experience than, than that? Or do you think that there's still, 
some some room to grow? That's my first question that I've got to follow up for you. <laughs> I think there's an enormous amount of room to grow. Uh, when you look at the statistics about financial services in Canada, you'll see that the majority of the employees and the staff uh, in those industries are actually female. So you walk into a retail bank organization and everybody on the front lines who's looking at you on the other end, they identify as female almost entirely. And the people who, but you go further up in the ranks, you get out of the retail level services and you start getting into um, you know, more professional investment management, you start getting into just management of team members and financial institutions, and the women start to disappear. And, and, I, and I think that that's an ongoing problem. And one of the reasons why I decided to take a risk and open my own firm uh, was not only because I really like the idea of doing advice-only financial planning, which was not even much of a thing when I started it, uh, but also because I kind of looked around at the lay of the land and I knew that I'm the type of person that wants to lead and I didn't see anybody offering me a leadership opportunity anytime soon. Interesting. That, uh, that's actually, it's almost like I, I planted that answer because that leads very well into the, into the follow-up question that I had for you, which is given your experience, the, you know, the, the nice, gentle, um, elderly gentleman who took you under his wing and was such a great mentor for you early on. Um, and reflected back to you those, you know, those those characteristics, which which are sometimes hard for for us to absorb without that being reflected back. What has that done to you as a leader for building your team or for, you know, using that mentorship or that coaching approach with others who you may see as potential, you know, bright lights? And what has because that happened in your past? Has that changed how you view, you know, mentorship or coaching in, in your team, in, in, in all of your companies? I mean, absolutely. It's, it's pretty much my favorite thing to do is, you know, when, when, you know, people are doing this whole, like, who am I and what do I want out of my life and what am I actually good at? The one thing that I kind of landed on that has continued to ring true for me throughout everything that I do is... I really enjoy and I'm quite good at helping people define what their own version of success looks like and then helping them figure out how to get there. I'm able to do that within Spring and within Admin Slayer by serving our clients. And I'm able to do that with our team members. And what's delightful about the opportunities that I have to work with the team members that I do is that I can do the exact thing. And so can all my other team members where we say, hey, if you've got something here, that is really interesting. How can we nurture it? How can we make this great for you and also make it great for the company and great for the clients? Like there's so much we can do with coaching, mentorship, thoughtful support, and real career tracking that's designed around the person, not designed around the company or its goals, but first the person and then matching it with company goals. There's so much we can do there that not only creates really happy team members who want to stay with you for a long time, despite the fact that you're a startup and it's a weird place to be in. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, you can grow with it and you can get this great innovation because people are empowered to bring their best selves to work. They feel good about it. They're excited about it. So everything new that happens at both Spring Plans and Admin Slayer, and there's lots of new things that are happening all the time. That comes from a team that feels safe, 
to be vulnerable with their ideas, to put their ideas forward, and to just really be themselves. That's a very interesting answer. Um, and I, I'm curious whether in the, in the, on the financial planning, probably in both, but I, I'm thinking more specifically on the financial planning, when you work with clients um, to plan and to help them realize their goals, um, it seems to me that there's probably a parallel in eliciting from the clients what their goals are um, to what your employees, your, you know, the, the, these, these superstars that you are able to recruit and helping them nurture that potential. It seems to me that there's, there's actually some overlap. So what you're good at when you said, you know, when you, you indicated that when you look at kind of what, what everybody's skill set is, uh, that's probably also what makes you a really good financial planner is because you're in tune with trying to get people to, um, elicit what what is really important for them, and that's both from a growth career perspective as well as from a from a financial perspective. Do you notice that that parallel, or did, did I just make that up? Oh, absolutely. No, that's 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 exactly it. I've spent a lot of time uh, taking all kinds of training in you know psychology and behavioral economics and uh, just mediation and conflict resolution and all the things that can help us really draw that information out of people because it's hard for people to think like this. You know, we grew up in in a society that I think is just designed by the industrial revolution that says you are a cog, this is the wheel, you know, this is the shape of of the whole and you're supposed to fit in it and let's knock all your corners off because you're a square peg and that's a problem. Um, I don't love that perspective because I'm absolutely a square peg and I think we can do so much with redesigning systems to fit the very cool people that we have. But what I've found both in financial planning and working with clients of the Mixlayer and working with all the team members is that people very often think that there's already a format and they just have to like jam themselves into it and, you know, not be themselves and, and just follow the instructions. Interesting. And what, what you're really advocating for is, is that, that customization or the personalization. So you might have a skill set that fits into a, a bucket that we need, but there's lots of room, lots of opportunity for innovation and creativity in how that can be expressed and how people can, can really um, use that to their advantage and, and for the benefit of, of companies and for the benefit of their financial plan, for example. So there's lots of flexibility and room to grow. That's a thing, right? If you look around, you know, at all the things that have been created in this world from companies to infrastructure to everything else, at some point, whatever you're looking at was just an idea. It was an abstraction. That's right. So who says we have to build it the same way it was built before? Who says that we all have to follow the same track? I mean, lots of people say, but they're wrong. (laughs) That's right. That's right. They haven't listened to this episode yet. But that's the thing, like if I followed that belief system that, you know, I have to just follow the track that society has laid out for me as a single teenage mother, I would not have gotten very far in my life. But I didn't believe that that's the truth. I believe that I am a unique individual and my pathway is unique and I can build it however I want. And I did. And I'm the CEO of two companies. That's not a terrible achievement, right? I'm pretty proud of that. Not a bad outcome. Right. But and and that's the thing is like we can be whatever we choose to be. And the and and I know it's very woo-woo sounding, you know, where our only limitation is ourselves, but it is actually true. And I think the hardest part of my jobs 
is helping people break down those internal limitations. You know, on the financial planning side, I get so many people who have, when I say, you know, what are your goals? They're like, to retire. Great. Tell me about that. How would that look for you? Right. And then they're like, ah, oh. most people don't know. I'm like, okay, well, what about right now? Do you like what you're doing? And they're like, well, I make good money. Like, mm, wasn't the question. Are you living your best life? And, and how do we do that? How do we do that now and later? Why do we have to delay living well and being happy until some future point? And why must it always be sacrifice and backbreaking hard work? Why do you have to hate your job in order to achieve your retirement? Why can't we design the very best life that we can live right now and the one that we're going to live in the future around ourselves? Like we, we live in this age where so much is possible. Yeah, really, really insightful. And I think uh, I think lots of people get stuck on that, you know, hamster wheel of I've got a I've got a job and it makes good money and maybe I don't love all aspects of it. Interesting. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, and you've you've alluded to this in your comments, um, you know, being a young mother, raising a son on your own. Um, now you are a CEO of two companies. And I want to focus a little bit on on the duality of the of the companies that you've that you've co-founded. <clears throat> as well as the other elements that are are personal to you, like many other women juggle, what has been the most important for you in terms of being able to consistently prioritize that success, being successful and, and focusing on your goals amongst the chaos of, of the day-to-day life? I expect that many of our listeners uh, will relate to, you know, to your situation and to, you know, juggling, having all of these balls in the air and also to creating companies out of the personal need of what what problems they've overcome. But what has been, what you've talked a lot about sort of designing your life and living the best life now and, and helping your clients do that. In your own situation, What how, how have you managed to kind of juggle those things? Well, I, I mean, I, I definitely say I've made a ton of mistakes. Uh, I've, I've had, you know, huge problems with stress management. Uh, so that's that's something that I think I'm doing a better job of overcoming at the moment. But good, you know, it's in flux. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like it's not it's not something that's been achieved. But uh, but I would say the biggest thing, and I think one of the things that people ignore. Uh, but for me, what's been vital and what alleviates the stress and alleviates the the just feelings of being scattered is that I have enormously valuable, trusting, secure relationships, particularly within my companies. My partners are my very best friends. Um, yeah, I'm really lucky. And, and, and it's, it hasn't gotten in the way of those friendships. You know, we talk about the way we are committed to each other uh, and we spend time on nurturing those relationships. Uh, in a really formal way to make sure that we continue to have each other's back and what and defining what that means for each of us in a in a really clear way. Yeah, and I, I assume that, that that perhaps shifts a little bit over time. Like what it was two, three years ago may may shift as, you know, one or more people moves into a slightly different phase of life or takes on another business partner or, or whatever. I'm sure that that's a that is not a one and done kind of conversation, but something that has to continually evolve throughout the life of the business as well. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's something like the, the amount of time and effort and energy we put into 
nurturing our relationships internally within both companies so that we continue to have that level of trust that we need to have in order to help each other grow and in order to grow as a company and then in order to be able to lean on each other it's it's pretty feely sometimes and uh and we've got you know a, a strong culture of coaching and um, a really strong level of support for things like personal therapy and that kind of stuff because I think if you don't deal with your stuff you're going to bring it to work for, for sure for sure it's really interesting to me that you so when I come at it from the lawyer's perspective it's it's interesting to me that you say that y- you spend some time in a pretty formal way making sure that you're nurturing those relationships and that you're you know you're 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 having the discussions that that need to be had. It's interesting because I, I of course, work with entrepreneurs and lots of people will, you know, they have the dream team and they're like, this is my best friend. I'm going to be best friends with this person forever. And then like life happens and sometimes they're not your best friend. And if they haven't spent the time in a, in a fairly formal way, putting down on paper the terms of their partnership or the terms of, you know, their working relationship when something happens and it could be a fight, it could be a death, it could be a disability, like all these things that just happen in life that we unfortunately don't have crystal balls to you know predict. Um, it creates it can crater friendships that otherwise may have outlasted the formality of you know of putting to get, putting something down on paper. And I sometimes feel like a broken record when I say, hey, like, could we have a conversation about a partnership agreement or a, a shareholder agreement, depending on you know the the type of business. And, and people say, no, like, I don't, I don't have time. I've got to run my business and that's just going to take care of itself. And, and at the end of the day, I think your point is really, really, it really resonates with me that if you don't take care of the relationships, then all you're left with is the formality. And if you have no formality, eh, it's pretty rough to try to, you know, piece it together. So it's interesting to me that, you know, from the entrepreneur's perspective, you say that you do focus uh, on that formality and 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 trying to make sure that you're nurturing that relationship because I think you're exactly right. At the end of the day, whenever you have business partners, you have a relationship and that's the most important thing. And it doesn't mean that that relationship has or even will stay the same or it will you know be stagnant throughout. But there needs to be some ability and some culture of of working through what those those issues are um, to everybody's benefit, right? So that when something changes, you're not sitting there saying, oh, I like my life has imploded, but I can't tell my business partner because I, I just don't have that that culture. So so good for you for uh, for recognizing that. I I wish more people did. It's something that I always say to people because I get I get a lot of questions from people who are starting businesses or they're considering bringing on partners and those sorts of things. And, you know, they say, oh, well, I think I'm going to make this person a partner. And my question is always great. Is this someone you would marry? because that's what the relationship is. You are going to have difficulties. You're going to have power struggles. You are going to have um, just general disagreements. Somebody's going to have a life event. There's going to be money problems because, you know, the entrepreneurial roller coaster doesn't ever stop. And all, <laughs> all of these things are going to happen to you the same way they happen in marriages. And so what kind of commitment do you want to have to this person? And maybe it isn't a marital commitment. Maybe it's a different kind of commitment, and maybe it's more of like a, um, you know, a contractor to business owner relationship. Like, understand what you're getting into before you really, really put a ring on it. For for sure, and sign a prenup, right? Like, let's yes. let's let's avoid a corporate divorce and sign a prenup, also known as a shareholder agreement. <laughs> Exactly. And you revisit that. You revisit that shareholder agreement all the time because you might want to make changes. 
I have a, another question related to to that. Um, so your your companies have focused a lot on women and the challenges that women in business and finance uh, might encounter. And in the past 16 months or so through the, the pandemic, the challenges for women in particular have really increased, whether that's elder care, child care, the chaos of homeschooling, whatever it is. What have you noticed or responded to that may have surprised you and or reinforced the value proposition for your service offerings, particularly for women in business and women in finance? I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, from a socioeconomic standpoint, a lot of the women that I deal with are in a fairly lucky uh, area. You know, their, their, their socioeconomic status is a lot more stable than the people who have suffered the most financially during mm. this yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Having said that, they're also the exact women because of, of most of the women we work with and uh, on both teams are millennials and Gen X. So these are the current sandwich generation. These are the people who are raising kids who are, you know, taking care of older parents and that kind of stuff. And so the demands on that group of people have been enormous. And I think we have always been really well set up to support those people because we've always had a remote, flexible working environment. And what I've always empowered everybody to do is you tell me how you want to work. I'll tell you if that fits or, or how we can finagle it. But you tell me what you need. And we've had to really force people to tell us what they need and to, to think about it because sometimes they're just so stressed. They're like, I don't know, I'm just doing the thing. And I'm like, you're going to blow your brains out. And I don't, I don't need that. I don't need you a burned out version of you. I need, I need a solid working version of you. Does that mean you need to work one day less a week? Does that mean you need to work three hours less a day? Tell me what it is. So that flexibility um, and, and making sure that you can uh, work with people to, to meet them where they are. And also, I guess, back to that communication piece about that might change as schools close down or daycares open or whatever the case is, we might need to continue to revisit that, that conversation so that it, it continues to work on, on both sides. Exactly. And that's been, that's been hard for people because of course they want to meet expectations. Everybody wants to be the superstar and they're like, well, if I do this, then I'm going to let the team down. And if, and I say, you know, let's bring in the rest of the team who can handle this. Have you got to, you know, maybe you'll take another hour at this time of day because you're in that time zone and you are, you know, need to make the change. Actually, you could pick up this other hour at that time of day. Let's just make this work. Let's work together as a team. And I, and I think they've been, really surprised, which surprised me because I've been like, we've been like this since 2015, ladies. But um, but I just think, you know, when when we're under times of stress, which everybody has been, you go back to what you remember. And what we remember from school and traditional workplaces is that if you show up as the person that you are with the needs that your family has, you are going to get punished for it. There are absolutely still women on a regular basis, particularly in the financial services industry that I've heard about, who get fired for being pregnant, who get fired for, you know, going on maternity leave. It doesn't look like that, but it's, that's what's happening. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. For sure. So that, that, you know, experience of punishment, they, they just, they, the trauma comes back when they're back in this place again, and to try and 
get people comfortable to have those conversations has probably been the, the biggest, biggest stress for us. Interesting. Um, what do you hope your legacy will be from your entrepreneurial journey? Such a good question, because that's something I actually do think about. Um, <laughs> my intention uh, is very much to, um, to, to leave the world a better place. I want to make a great ongoing multi-generational system that allows people to work in the way that they want to work so they can be the best versions of themselves. I think the way that we're doing that inside Minslayer puts more women to work pre-pandemic. There was a statistic that I read that said if every woman who could be employed was actually employed to the extent that they can be in Canada, we would add over $4 billion to our gross domestic product, right? Wow, that's staggering. It is. And that's before the pandemic, we saw so many women leaving the workforce. So what if we actually made it okay to have families, to be a person that has desires and needs that aren't always about working 24 hours a day? What if we made that possible and we allowed people to grow in that environment? And just because you work 30 hours a week instead of 60 doesn't mean you're not interested in progressing into your career. Yeah. Or, or that you're any any less good at your career of choice. Exactly. No, they're fantastic. And then the other thing that Admin Slayer does is uh, it one of the big things that happens for businesses is you've got a great idea. You've got great people who do the thing, whatever it is that you produce, the good or the service or whatever. Where do we fall apart? Where do we fail? In execution. And actually, like, how do businesses work? Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so what if that wasn't your problem anymore? What if that was our problem? Because that's what we're good at. You go run your business, you do your thing, you talk to people, you network, you build stuff, and we will make sure that the ship runs. So I think that Adminslayer is in a great position to create an excellent environment for people who want to work differently so that we can add to the GDP on that level by employing underemployed people. And then at the same time, creating greater success for small businesses, because the reasons for failure are very rarely because it was a bad idea. Talking about Slayers and about spring planning, where can our audience find out more about Admin Slayer and about spring planning? Uh, adminslayer.com is our website and at adminslayer is almost every social media handle. And spring plans can be found at springplans.ca and at springplans on almost every social media handle. And to the point about legacy, spring plans also has a long-term legacy to change what financial planning means, what the experience is like for the people who receive it so that everybody is empowered to manage and control their own finances in order to meet their own versions of success. I remember a long time ago, my mom said to me, yeah, you can do and say a lot of nice things, but what matters if you want to help people is money. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking time to be with us today. This has been a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much, Heather. It was so fun. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update. Thank you.